In the name of Jesus, amen. If you've ever been to, I guess, just about uh, any restaurant, many other businesses, you've probably you've been to the restroom, probably seen one of these signs, uh, something that says, employees must, or maybe just, please, wash your hands. Uh, in fact, many of these signs have uh, helpful instructions that follow, and, and even graphics, uh, in case you can't get the instructions. Um, wet hands, apply soap, rub hands together for 30 seconds, rinse hands, dry hands thoroughly. I think the signs are kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I imagine there's some sort of law that says businesses of certain sorts need to have these signs, but I think they're kind of ridiculous because I doubt that in the long history of mankind uh, finishing up their business, I I doubt that many have stood before the sink befuddled, looked at their hands, looked at the sign, and then said to themselves, so, that's how you do it. Probably not. And on top of that, they don't exactly instill a ton of confidence in an establishment to know that the employees have to be reminded every time they go to the restroom to to wash their hands. Um, My kid's school has a a, a sort of a a fancy, funny take on the wash your hands signs. Above all the, the sinks in the restrooms, it says, wash your hands like your Lady Macbeth. And if you don't know it, I'll tell you, in the Shakespeare play, Lady Macbeth, um, she's taken part in the murder of the king of Scotland, and she's racked with guilt over it. So in some sort of dream or sleepwalking or something, um, she thinks she sees a spot of blood on her hand and says famously as she washes her hands furiously, but to no avail, out, damn spot. It just won't go away. Wash your hands like you. Lady Macbeth. So... Well, I don't know um, who makes those signs or uh, who insists they be displayed or exactly when they came on the scene, but if they were around, say, 2,000 years ago in uh, the area around the the Sea of Galilee, uh, it might have been these folks known as the the Pharisees, or that we know as the Pharisees who were responsible for the signs. Our gospel reading for today from Mark chapter 7 picks up on a conversation, the beginning of which... You all heard last week where these Pharisees, well, they're miffed that Jesus' disciples are not following their instructions. They're not reading the hand-washing signs. We saw in verse verse 1 of that chapter, it says, They, the Pharisees, saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate the bread with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, you probably know back in those days, they didn't know much about germs and viruses and that stuff. So, so that wasn't the reason they were wanting these disciples or expected Jesus' disciples to wash their hands. It was a, a ritual thing, a ritual religious purity thing. As much a, as anything, their, their washing was a, a sign, uh, some old-time virtue signaling, if you know the phrase. The, the signal that you took your religious purity seriously, if you took the hand-washing seriously, it meant you took the rest of the rules seriously, meant you were a dependable, upstanding member of the community who took the rules seriously. Their defiled hands, not just dirty like there's some scum under the fingernails, defiled is a word which means not fit to be around by anybody else. Defiled means not fit for God to be around. If you have defiled hands, don't dare fold them in prayer to God because he won't listen. 
the ritual is kind of a big deal. The actual process back in the day probably probably wasn't much. It might have just been, a, a, instead of soap in 30 seconds, just a, a dip of the fingers. So if they had hand-washing signs, it would have been really simple, dip and done. But the significance was, was big. Not just next to godliness, cleanliness was godliness. These Pharisees, this outward sign, ritually washed hands, signal that you're serious about God's stuff, and so an all-around good dude, and so you must be washed up clean on the inside, too. You might look at your hands. I bet they're clean. In fact, if you took a squirt or two of sanitizer on the way in the door, they might be, they might be extra clean. If you got a manicure recently, I've never had a manicure, could probably use one. <laughs> if you get a manicure recently, it might not only be clean, they might be worthy of display and beautiful. In fact, if your hands are not very clean, maybe you didn't get a, hand, a chance to, to wash them or something, if they were really dirty, you might, you might even be tempted to kind of hide them a bit. Maybe stick them in your pockets, conceal them or something like that, because you see, um, around here were people who uh, generally have clean hands. Not only do we keep our noses clean, as the saying goes, but we have clean hands, too, like the rest of us. Hair and faces and clothes. Everything that everyone sees. Uh, Because even if not a religious ritual, keeping clean is still a a signal of sorts that we're clean people. I'm not positive of the fact, but I bet if someone came in here who was not very clean, maybe who stunk a little bit, we'd all be way too polite to say anything. It's part of our cleanliness. But we don't notice. We likely talk about it on the way home. Now, now if I were to keep asking you to, to keep looking at your hands and ask, well, are they clean? And then if I said, are they clean? Are they really clean? And I kept being really serious like that. Your, your mind might drift metaphorical. And you might start wondering about the, the story that your hands tell. They may be clean, but are they clean? Looking at those hands and asking over and over, are they clean, might have you remembering places where your hands have been that they should not have been. Might have you thinking of people or things that they've touched that they should not have touched. Might have you recalling times when those hands should have been outstretched and open to give, but instead were closed tightly to hold on. And the longer I'd ask you about your hands, are they really clean? The more you might even be tempted to stick your hands in your pockets and might start wondering if there is a little spot on them, even a damned spot. Something like the spot that Lady Macbeth, the spot of blood she couldn't get rid of, even though only she could see it and couldn't unsee it. And if that line of questioning, that if I were to go that direction, if that were to make sense to you, then you would have a bead on the direction that Jesus takes the conversation when he takes it up in today's gospel lesson. We start at verse 14, where Jesus says there's nothing Outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's not failure to dip your fingers, he says, or any other outside stuff that makes a mess of you and your community. In other words, and this is the key, 
It's not any of that stuff that you have control over. Washing your hands, wearing the right clothes, showing up at church, wagging your head censoriously when you recognize someone's dirty deeds, all the sort of stuff to signal we're clean, all the stuff we have control over. Think of those clean hands I mentioned that you have. Why are they clean? Because you washed them, because you know how. You have control over that. If you forget, there's a sign in the bathroom, or maybe there should be. But it's not that stuff, says Jesus. It's none of those things that we can do or put in or not put in that we have control over that mess with you or your community, that defile you and your community. What is that, says Jesus, is what comes out. If you, um, uh, if you watch the show Ted Lasso, if you don't, you should. Great show. <laughs> it's worth the five bucks a month on Apple TV or whatever it is. Side plot from that show, a little episode a couple of weeks ago, um, um, of Roy Kent's niece, he's got this little girl, she's eight or nine years old, I think, and she has absolutely horrendous breath. <laughs> and as some little mean boy in her class is, is making fun of her, Roy and his girlfriend who are watching, um, this, this little girl say, oh, can't be that bad, uh, give us a whiff. And so they, she breathes in their face and they both like want to throw up in their mouth. <laughs> it's like absolutely disgusting. Breath mints, brushing, mouthwash will do nothing to touch this nasty steak. I finally find a, a dentist in kind of a fun way, knocking on random doors on Christmas Eve, <laughs> but they find a dentist, and the dentist says, well, that's an inside stink. <laughs> that's not something that from stuff you're putting in your mouth, that's something that comes deep within that fortunately they can take care of with some medicine. But it's that inside stink. So Jesus is saying to these Pharisees all concerned about fingers and foods and stuff. That's, it. That's what our problem is. No amount of finger dipping or anything we can do can deal with it. Jesus says it comes from, from deep down. Jesus has a name for these things that are deep down. He calls them kakoi dialogismoi, which is Greek, and you don't know Greek, but I just love saying it because it sounds like Klingon or something like that. Kakoi dialogismoi means evil thought. Dialogismois, the Greek word for thoughts. And you probably hear the word dialogue in there and think, oh, dialogue is usually what goes back and forth between people. But for the, the Greeks, when they say dialogismoi, they think of the internal dialogue. This conversation which is always going on in our heads, in our hearts, in our thing. The thing about these that Jesus is pointing out here, the thing about these internal dialogues is you don't have much control over it. These evil dialogues, these evil conversations just kind of just bubble up. Someone steals your parking spot. Anger! <laughs> Someone walks by and your eye wanders. Lust! Someone posts something on Facebook. Envy! You didn't have to try. It was just there. That's, in fact, if you look at the list of things which Jesus is indicating as examples of these kakai, kakoi, dialogismoi, you notice that most of them are the kind of things you just don't have much control over. Envy, pride, Foolishness, deceit, the stuff of these internal conversations, maybe ones that are going on in your head right now. The substance of which, if they suddenly became like a dialogue bubble over your head, would probably be scandalous until you realize everyone else had the same bubbles. And then all of those conversations in your head that tell about a history of failing yourself and others, this cacophony of shames that you really like to shut off, maybe just with a dip of the fingers, but can't. Can't just scrub it away. Scrub all you want, Lady Macbeth. The damned spot won't go away. 
listen to a uh, podcast sometime on vacation. Um, I can't remember this, the, uh, which podcast it was. I just remember the person being interviewed was telling a story about this um, Jewish doctor that, that he knew. And the particular story is like this. The Jewish doctor, it happened years before, he worked at some sort of clinic, and he tells about this time he went in, and there's this big, burly man at the, at the clinic on the examination table or something. And, and as soon as he walked in, the man put his hand slowly down the table, like right where it was very evident, and there was a giant swastika on the back of his hand. And as he put it down, uh, the doctor has his name tag, and he repeated the doctor's name slowly three times, and it was a recognizably Jewish name. Like, he says, Abraham Bernstein. Bernstein. You know, to make him know that he knew he was Jewish in what he was doing. Well, the doctor says he kind of made a joke about it. <laughs> he says, oh, that's quite a tattoo. I've never, never read much about tattoos. I don't have any. Did, did that hurt? <laughs> it made the man chuckle. Well, for the next 10 years or so, this guy kept coming in. He had various issues. Um, and this Jewish doctor cared for him exactly like everyone else. He cared for him. He made the same jokes with him, treated him exactly the same as everyone else, swastika or not. Until finally, some 12 years after the clinic was closing, this guy came in for his, his last checkup, a, a time during which he'd gotten a hold of his life, got on top of his life, put things together, got off drugs, whatever. And the doctor noticed that he had a, a horrible rash on the back of his hand. And, and so the doctor says, well, um, we're going to have to treat that rash. What happened? And he says this big, tough, burly guy started crying and said, I knew I was going to see you. I was trying to wash it off. Now, that's a story about a guy who had dirty outsides, tattoo, and then the insides, which gave rise to that. It's a story about how he got clean, or began to get clean. And I don't mean by trying to get rid of the tattoo. In fact, him trying to get rid of that too was itself evidence that the cleansing had already begun. That something had changed in him, that something of a defiled heart had been changed. And how did that happen, I ask you? Did it happen because of something he did? Did it happen because of something he put in, or something he put out, or something he had control over? No. No, it happened because what of someone else, what someone else, this Jewish doctor, put into him. It happened because this Jewish doctor put into him, and no matter how dirty you are, care and compassion and mercy, just like he gave everyone else. And that's what began to change him. Now, speaking of Jewish doctors, I know of one who's done something similar something similar to you, who makes you clean by pouring something into you. The Jewish doctor, the great physician, Jesus of Nazareth, Christ from on high. We are all dirty with an internal stink, and there's no way around that. That Christ has poured, is pouring medicine into you. By pouring in no matter how dirty you are, compassion and mercy and forgiveness and grace and love into you, you are clean. Old Lady Macbeth, she went mad, soiled with a drop of blood from the king of Scotland. You are clean because the blood of the king of kings 
has been shed for you. Every single blessed drop that fell from his lovely body, preaching a sermon for all time and for this time, though your sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow. And those kakai, kakoi, dialogus moi, oh, those evil thoughts, those cacophonous conversations, so difficult to silence. When you come up to the Lord's table today, dip your fingers in that water, not as some sort of self-righteous virtue signaling, but dip them as a dialogue silencing reminder of the blessed monologue spoken over you, the one-way love from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at your baptism, which says, you are mine, you are mine, you are forever mine. And those soiled hands, those defiled hands, like those with which, to the Pharisees' dismay, Jesus' disciples dared to eat the bread, bring them up here. Bring your defiled, unclean hands to Jesus today, to his table, and eat the bread. With defiled hands and unclean lips, eat the bread, which is his very body. Drink the blood, the wine, which is his very blood. Eat and drink, and know that every damned spot has been washed away. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.